You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. started hey welcome to the gastroenteritis blues my name is steve Lippman. i'm with my friends dan volpone and emily anderson on our first bonus episode episode going great on locker room uh dan i'm going to start with you uh rumors are swirling that you were at top golf last last night uh how did it go how did you play and how was your experience yeah it was just like the only thing you could do where it's like heated and outdoors these days. So I thought it was very enjoyable, too expensive, but would still recommend. Do you know how far your furthest shot went? I have no idea. I, I don't, I had a lot of, uh, I had a lot of drinks. I'm not gonna lie. Oh, Dan, you have a good time. Don't you? Emily, how was your night last night? Um, it was good. I ordered sushi and watched Ant-Man and the Wasp. Wow, and and then how was the movie? It was good. I hadn't seen it before. We're watching all of the Marvel movies, and then I listened to Binge Mode about them. Um, so we're almost done, but we watched Ant-Man and the Wasp last night. That's very fun. Um, yeah. So I figure what we're going to do today is we can review the first half of Sixers games. Uh, right now we are at the halfway point. The Sixers are first in the Eastern Conference. They're 24-12. and 12. I believe, coming off of that big win against the Utah Jazz. So let's do sort of an overall, how are we feeling about the team compared to your expectations coming into this year? Uh, Emily, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great, honestly. I mean, I'm constantly like a little worried that someone's going to get hurt and it's all going to fall apart. But if that doesn't happen, I feel I feel really good about it. Yeah. Uh, Dan, what about you? Yeah, I think it was a great first half, and there's really not much to complain about. I mean, the team is is definitely better than I thought they would be. Um, I will say that, you know, it also helps that the East stinks. Um, But I'm not going to complain about that. I think that's awesome. And it. um, I think, you know, we're definitely better than last year. I think that the the rest of of our conference is, is far worse. Um, which is, which is nice because it's, it's really giving us a, a, a real shot to, to, to compete. And I think that it's, you know, in, in last year's crowded East, you know, it was of course a disappointing regular season, but you know, e- even so it was like, oh man, like there's so many good teams, like, like all the teams we just have to go, go through. Um, right. 
And and this year it's like other than Brooklyn and kind of Milwaukee, you know, if we can hold on to the one seed and we only have to play one of them, I think we're in great shape. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, coming into the year, it was sort of weird. I think especially for you and I, Dan, because there was the Harden rumor, and we didn't know how to feel like if we could fully commit to this group of Sixers, or if it was about to change in a giant way. Um, and to start the year, Ben didn't look great. You know, I just I'm writing this piece for Liberty Ballers about uh, all the different Sixers and how they performed to get the Sixers to where they are today. But it seemed like pretty soon after the Harden trade happened and Ben stayed in Philly, uh, he really picked it up and looked like a different player and a much better player than he had before. And that was like a giant improvement to me. I would like to know from you guys, give me one sixer that surprised you in a good way and one sixer that surprised you in a bad way. And uh, I'd like to uh, start with Dan. Dan, give me a sixer that surprised you in a good way and one that has disappointed you so far. Yeah, I'll take the easy answer and say Joel for someone who surprised me in a good way. Um, yeah, I, I, he's just been so fantastic this year, and the you know the mid range shot is falling better than ever. He's always had like a really pretty shot, and you know he's he's finally making them and getting getting them off. Zach Lowe wrote about that. Um, I think it came out yesterday in his ten things, um, but just about how. You know, Embiid has been able to you know, just find open, like good ways to get that mid-range shot off better than he has before. He's doing the little things better than before. He's, I think, I think his defense is much more consistent than it was last season. Like he's just been a consistently very good defender this year. And um, you know, especially closing games, we saw it against Utah. But coming in, I really was a little bit worried about how the Sixers were were going to end games on offense. I, I'm not sure how sustainable it is, to be honest. I think it's mm-hmm. it's hard because Embiid is so easily doubled as com- as a, you know compared to a, like a perimeter scorer who's going to ISO at the end of a game. But it's been working so far, so uh, I, I can't complain. He's, if he's going to make every shot, then that seems good to me. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I guess who surprised me in a bad way? Yeah, Danny Green has not been super fun. I didn't have the high <laughs> expectations for him coming in. But he's been a little bit frustrating. He can't do a lot of things that would be great if he could do. Um, I think it's kind of – it goes without saying that, you know, he doesn't really dribble. He's been, like, kind of frustratingly bad on defense. Um, I know there's some things he does well on defense, but he gets blown by a bit. He's One-on-one defense is tough for him at this not, point. Not great. I don't – he might just be older at this point. Um, you know, his three point shot, I, I think is right around league average or slightly below right now. Um, which is, you know, not what we were hoping for from that, from that last starter. So, yeah, I, I think he's, he's been a bit of a disappointment. I think if he were in a bench role, he might be, you know, might be looking a little bit better and, but it is reflected though. I mean, the starters are better with shaken. If you replace like Danny Green and put shaken with the exact same lineup, the starters mm-hmm. are playing much better. Um, I guess that, you know, there's some, there's some bias to that because, you know, when shake is in with the other four starters, they're not necessarily playing the other team starters, but when all five, six or starters are in, it's usually to start the, you know, the game or to start the second half where both teams have their starters in. So they're playing a tougher lineup than when, than shake is in possibly, but I, I still think that it, it does kind of bear true with the eye test. So. Yeah, I mean, one thing I I will say before we go to Emily is that uh, I've been impressed with Doc Rivers' willingness to go with a hot hand. 
like against Utah, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that game, but like Danny really didn't have it very much, but Shake was playing well. His shooting numbers weren't great, but his defense was good and he was playing well with the starters. And I really liked that Doc kept him in during crunch time because he was just flat out playing better. Um, so Emily, what about you? Which Sixer has uh, impressed and disappointed you this year? Um, well, Dan took the easy answer with Joel as being impressive. Right. Um, I'll say Ben though, especially after, and this is more of like a, from the start of the season to now, like I, at the beginning of the season, like I didn't expect Ben to be a defensive player of the year candidate. Um, and he clearly is. I know that like, you know, you can quabble with his offense and things like that, but I'm just in, continuously impressed with his defense. And I'm of the mind that if he can do something like, and he can you know, drive to the basketball and he's aggressive and he can apparently play like 70 minute basketball games and never get tired. Like if you have all those good things, I'm, I'm willing to forgive the inability to make a jump shot as right. basic as that is. Um, just because I think the game is so like wired and you can do such things with the way you make up your team. Um, and then I don't want to say disappointed, but I'll say, I'll say shake. I know that's like a hot take and it's not a good <laughs> take, but, um, just because I like he, the very beginning of the season, it looked like he, he took a, a real leap and I don't know that that leap has been sustained throughout the whole, the whole season, the first half of the season. Um, there was like, he was just like this like spark plug off the bench and um, being out for a little, I think definitely hurt him, but I think he's not where he was at the beginning of the season right now. Like I put, I put six man of the year money on him and I know mm-hmm. that was a stretch, but like now that looks stupid. Um, <laughs> my Joel bets look great. But and you didn't yeah. cash it out for six dollars, so that's a big no. Deal. I'm still riding. I was listening. Hey, Dan's I feel good. Like, <laughs> Dan's gonna be like, "Why do you listen to that?" I was listening to Bill Simmons the other day, and uh-huh. he was talking about he had a house on, and house was like, "Yeah, I got, I got Joel at plus at twenty to one," and Bill was so impressed, and I was like, "I have Joel at twenty five to one." Like, wow, slow your roll. And now he's at like two to one, basically. So wait, what would your bet pay out? Um, so I have two separate ones. I have a five dollar one and a ten dollar one because I'm a real high roller. <laughs> um, and I think total they would pay out like in the three hundreds on fifteen dollars. <laughs> yeah, in the three hundreds. So that's a hundred for each of us. That sounds good. Oh, you're saying <laughs> it hits? <laughs> yeah. But what if what could what could you cash it out at? Like um, odds. Okay, I uh, can that's look right it up. If you don't know off the top of your head, no way. I don't, but I can look it up because you can like minimize this app and do things in the background. So <laughs> I'll get back to you in one second yeah. on those answers. So a momentous occasion has just happened. We have our first speaker request here on uh, on uh, Blocker Room. So we're going to elevate Ethan Simons Simmons. I don't know. I hope you're not like a QAnon guy. We're going to find out. We're going to add you, and uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Ethan, how are you? I'm good. Just another beautiful Saturday, not believing in QAnon conspiracy theories. Good man. All right. We're in the clear. 
Uh, Ethan, <laughs> did you have something that you wanted to add to uh, our discussion about your, you know, sixer you're impressed with or disappointed with? Um, well, yeah, I think uh, I have. Uh, so, well, first of all, I'm a Mavs fan, but I have been. Uh, I, was, I think I was in college when Hinky took over the Sixers, and mm-hmm. uh, just you know, I've always been sort of into. I'm like you know the the video game rise of advanced stats generations. Always been into like team building and analytics, and so Sixers have fascinated me since them probably more than except Dallas. Um, and I, I have to say, I've been impressed with. Uh, with Seth, with Seth Curry, I say that mm-hmm. with some bias as a Mavs fan because I think he's been allowed because he's in a less heliocentric offense, like he was in the past couple of years with Luca. Um, he's been allowed to do a little bit more on ball, and you know he's he's kind of coming into his own. He's obviously like he's he's kind of a a lesser version of Steph in a lot of ways. His handle's pretty good. He's a good decision maker, and it's. He's opened up the offense um, maybe even more than I initially thought he would. So, that's so, so given that you're a Mavs fan, I figure we might as well ask you about the trade that brought Seth to Philadelphia, and you guys have Josh Richardson. Uh, we had the Josh Richardson experience last year. Uh, I think that everybody finds him to be a very cool and fun player off the court. But on the court, he does, at least from our perspective, he did a lot of dribbling and uh, not as much shooting and, and all of that kind of stuff that we were hoping for from him. What has he been like in Dallas? Uh, what's like the fans' uh, opinion of Josh so far? Oh, it's incredibly low. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think everybody misses misses Seth. They miss the buzzsaw offense from from last season. The, so the the I the the theory that everybody sort of talked themselves into, despite Seth being a fan favorite when he left, was that okay, you know, the the Mavs had the as everyone has talked about the most efficient offense, um, you know, of all time last mm-hmm. year. So sure, the offense takes a small step back, but you know, if Josh Richardson gets back to what he was for that half a season in Miami, and he he upgrades the defense. So if your defense can take a big step forward, especially on the perimeter, and the offense takes a small step back, it's a net win. The problem is the defense, they're playing much better now, but the defense by and large hasn't been great. Richardson hasn't made a huge impact on that end. And he's also, he. It's we're, we're now two or three years removed from the one stretch of a season where he had some juice as an on-ball creator. Right. He's not a guy who's going to come in and do anything with a second unit. And he's not hitting. He just can't buy a three. His shot doesn't look bad, but they're just not going down. And if you're playing next to Luca, that's kind of all you need to do. You just need to be able to hit open threes from the corner in the wings. And he's not doing it. So from Mavs fans, a ton of buyer's remorse, I would say. Yeah. Um, I will. Uh, I'm going to let you go so we get back to the show a little bit here. But first of all, how do I pronounce your last name? Simons. Simons. All right. I had it right the first time. Don't yell at me. Um, <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on to talk about this stuff. Uh, and I definitely agree about Richardson missing threes. When he was a sixer, I thought that he was like sort of like Tim Wakefield, like his shots looked like knuckleballs. Uh, anyway, thank you very much uh, for hanging out. And I hope you come back and, and see us very soon. 
Yeah, for sure. And if you don't mind, I actually have a question for you all that I hope you can get to. Oh, it. yeah. Oh, Go I'm for it. Things over. Um, the, uh, I'm just curious from y'all's perspective, who, like, coming into the season, uh, assuming that the Sixers were, were healthy and competitive, who you were most concerned about matchup-wise in the East um, in a playoff scenario, and if that has changed over the first half of this season? Um, I feel like here, Emily, do you want to take that one? Uh, who are you – most worried about coming into the season in the East? Um, that's, it's so interesting, probably. And it looks stupid. I'm always worried about, especially watching them at the end of last season. I know that we changed our, our personnel a little bit, but like we got steamrolled by the Celtics and I was Mm -hmm. like, we play them all the time. And I just can't, my heart can't handle it. And I they find a way but they kind of suck this year so but like before this season I didn't know that yeah Dan what about you coming into the year and this is before the Harden trade uh because I think maybe we're unanimous in that the team that we're most worried about now would be the Nets but coming into the year what do you guys think uh or what do you think Dan yeah, I mean, I, I will agree with Emily in the sense that I'm always most worried about Boston because losing to them sucks the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of who I was worried about, like, team that I thought would be toughest to beat coming in, I would have said Milwaukee. Um, yeah. And Milwaukee's still second at this point. But, yeah, Boston does suck, which has been, like, a really fun thing to happen this year that I didn't really expect. Um, and then, yeah, I, right now, obviously, it is it is the Nets, like you said. Um, I'll add that I think that, the Nets were probably second, so all they did was jump Milwaukee for me coming in, and mm-hmm. and really uh, it's all about Harden. I think Harden is, you know, having an MVP caliber season. I think you could really make the argument that him and Joel right now are, you know, the two best players in the league. And um, you know, I've you know, we talked about it before. I love Harden. I'm a big Harden believer. And wherever he went, unless it was like the Knicks, which it was never going to be. Like if the Raptors got Harden. They right, probably right. would have been my biggest concern in the East. So it was really wherever Harden was going to go. Um, like, concretely, it was the Bucks, And in theory, it was whoever gets Harden because all the teams he was listing were all East teams. You know, uh, when you look around the East and these teams, and, and their records aren't great. I mean, Dan, I think you tweeted the other day about, like, the first record in the East would be the fourth in the West, all of that kind of stuff. I don't see any of those teams, even though the Sixers have played this well, as, like, particularly – easy cakewalks, you know, like Miami, I sort of don't want to see them in the playoffs because I feel like they'll ramp it up. Like Toronto plays great against Joel. And I worry about the Sixers surviving without peak Joel. Uh, definitely. I mean, the Nets, I don't remember the last time they lost a game. It feels like they're, they've been a half game behind us for forever. And uh, it seems like they're really coming on. I don't know why I have had this implicit confidence about beating the Bucks for a while. And they have, I do they have floundered in the playoffs similar to the Sixers. And I guess it's just that I feel like if Embiid has to go all out and he has to guard Giannis, there probably isn't somebody better in the league to do that. Uh, And then you have Simmons that you can deploy on Chris Middleton to mitigate some of that. I love Drew and Drew would probably have a good series, but uh, I don't know. That's what I would think um, in terms of who I'm most afraid of. And, and, and stopping Brooklyn really is going to be the biggest thing in, in the playoffs because what you really need in the playoffs a lot of times are guys that can just create their own offense out of nothing. And they have three of those guys. So that'll be really tough. Um, Emily, you mentioned being disappointed in shake. Uh, I totally get that. I mean, shake his numbers right now are down 12% from three 
from where he was last year. So that's been like a big uh, sort of step back and maybe that'll normalize. And, you know, he's probably not a 43% three point shooter, but he's also probably not a 31% one. He probably, you know, will probably end up somewhere near 37 or 38. And I think if he does, that's a very uh, valuable weapon uh, on this team. In terms of people that I, the Sixers that I've been most uh, surprised in a good way about, uh, I, I, I'm in the minority. I love the Dwight Howard experience. I think it's really, really funny every game. I think it's a, a lovely time. He had a great uh, spurt of minutes against uh, Utah where he hit a three and then he blocked a shot or he stole the ball from uh, Gobert and he was trying to dribble. It was really fun. Um Mike Scott, I would say, is somebody that – it's not that I had high hopes for Mike Scott, but the one thing that you always knew that he would do is is shoot open threes and make them at a pretty good uh, clip. Uh, but he hasn't been doing that. He's played well and better lately, uh, as recently written about by Daniel Olinger on Liberty Ballers. Uh, but he seems sort of like somebody who's definitely not long for the rotation. And also, if I was thinking about the rotation, Matisse Thibault not being able to hit any shots – on offense is a uh, not great thing. Um, I, we're big about talking about the most handsome Sixers, and this is where we'll lose our listeners. But uh, do you guys have any opinions on the way your rankings have fluctuated this year? Uh, Emily, what do you think? Ha- have you gone up and down on a few of these guys? Um, probably. I'd have to like have my rankings in front of me. I think. I think I probably had Isaiah Joe too low. Hmm. Um, I just think Ben is just very handsome. I yeah. I think he's still a sh- he, he's a number one. That hasn't changed for me. Um, his post game interviews, his politeness really is just it ups his handsome factor. He's always so polite, which I love with his like little bit of an Australian accent, but not really. He's just a delightful person to watch on my television so i would keep ben one um but yeah those like middle of the road people there might be some up and down movement but i don't have my list in front of me i don't like keep it in front of me all the time that's that's different maybe i should maybe i should (laughs) um ben also has a new dog every time every single week he's got a new dog that he brings into his house dan uh in terms of handsomes you famously had Isaiah Joe number one on your list. Uh, would that be the case today? Yeah, I still have Joe one, Ben two, Matisse three. Those top guys, you know, Dwight's still up there. I think maybe, you know, I don't even remember I had everyone. Shaken, Shaken, Joel, maybe a little higher than mm-hmm. I did before. I would push him up. Um, this is kind of a segue, but, you know, just how much I love Joel, um, especially, you know, just just watching him play, but then also, you know, as a person where he, you know, makes comments about how everything he does is for Philly. And then he backs it up by this morning donating $100,000 of his, you know, all-star bonus to um, to three homeless shelters in Philadelphia, which is, like, awesome. And, and it's it's so, like, you know, it's not, it's not something that, you know, he necessarily needed to do. And it's not like for the most part, like the people that that's going to benefit are, well, A, the people who need it most, but B, you know, they're not the people who are going to every game and buying lots of jerseys. Right. So it's not just a move for, for, you know, the, the, the people who are, you know, spending their money on him. He's actually, you know, giving back to the people most in need in his community, which I just think is, is so awesome. And so, 
for that, I'll bump him up. I don't even remember where I had him, but you know, there's no spot too high for Joel. Yeah, I, uh, I, so this just came out recently that he, uh, he's donating his $100,000 winnings from the All-Star game to Philadelphia homeless shelters. Uh, I'm going to read you the quote that Joel had about that, that Tom West posted, uh, one of our buddies, Tom West. He posted, uh, Joel said, so many have fallen on such hard times during the pandemic. I felt it was important to provide more support for individuals and families struggling with homelessness and food insecurity. I'm continually grateful for all the support that Philadelphia and the fans have given me, not just around All-Star, but all my years in the league. I will continue to help in any way I can. I mean, we talk about it a lot, but he's just an unbelievable person and player to root for. Um, I want to give a shout out to uh, Luke, who posted in the chat that Embiid is for MVP. I mean, there really isn't any way around that at this point. I think that uh, if if you don't call him the prohibitive favorite at this point, and there's a lot of season left, you really aren't paying attention. But Joel also over the offseason, you know, sort of put his money where his mouth was also and took care of the Sixer employees that were going to lose money uh, to some budget cuts by Josh Harrison company. And, and so this is, you know, he's done this a number of times now, and it's just incredibly cool that, uh, that we have this guy in our city. Um, speaking of the games recently, they just beat Utah in a pretty incredible overtime victory that we actually, uh, a little behind the curtain, we watched on zoom together. Um, was that in your opinion, the best win of the first half for the Sixers? Dan, what do you think? Yeah, I'm gonna say yes. I um, when it when the game happened right after, I said top two win of the season, uh, with the other one being the win over the Lakers. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna change my mind on that and say that it was not just top two, but it was definitely number one. Um, I think the Lakers game was a little bit frustrating at the end. Toby hit the great shot, but the Sixers did blow a lead. Um, no, I mean, not that it, I really care. It was still a great win, but yeah, uh, it was nice to to see. You know, in in the Jazz game, the Jazz were hitting all their shots early. It wasn't like the Sixers at any point really did something wrong or blew it, but the Jazz were just really hot. The Sixers hung in there um, in a way that I think we say this all the time, but, you know, last year maybe they throw in the towel. The vibes are so much better this year. Mm-hmm. Come back. Um, Joel is just all around unbelievable. I mean, he was very good against the Lakers, but he was even better against, you know, the two-time defensive player of the year at his position. Could not do a thing to stop him. Joel got, you know, the only time Joel missed was when he just happened to shot, but he got any look he wanted. There was a play right. where he bowled him, bowled him over, not even an offensive foul. He just out-muscled him. Um, he had he played incredible defense. I think, you know, the other guys, you know, stepped in to do their part as well. Joel's three to send it to overtime was, was awesome and kind of, you know, the same, the same, I guess, you know, element that made it a great game as the Toby shot in the Lakers game. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, after the game, I was saying, yeah, top two win of the season. But what put it over the top was the meltdown that the Jazz players had <laughs> about these imaginary bad calls in the game. And, you know, I can't stand the Jazz and their fans. They, they piss me off. I think they're really annoying. No offense to any Jazz fans out there. I'm not saying they all are. But, you know, I think the most vocal ones drive me nuts. And it's so nice to beat them. Um, and, and, you know, Simmons locked down Mitchell in overtime. It was just like everything we wanted to see from our guys, everything we wanted to see surrounding the game. It, it was awesome. And I, I do think it was the best win of the first half. 
Um, you know, you mentioned the the game against the Jazz and the game against the Lakers, and they were sort of inverted. Like the Lakers game, the Sixers were winning the whole time, gave up the lead late, and then pulled it out on a great shot from Tobias. Whereas in this game, the Sixers were trailing for most of it, but sort of staying within arm's reach, which which really could have gotten out of hand a few times. And then they go on this great run at the end of the game to force overtime, and and Bede hits that unbelievable three that was just like pretty incredible. And uh, and yeah, just all the storylines. I mean, there's Embiid and Jokic, or and uh, what's his name, uh, Embiid and Gobert, Gobert. right? Uh, and Simmons and Mitchell, and there's just lots of drama. And to see the Sixers come out on top was really great. Emily, do you have any other contenders for the best win of the first half, or uh, do you have any uh, other other choices yourself? Um, no, I think those are prob are pretty strongly the best wins the Lakers game in that game we all know the Sixers played like a semi-easy schedule in the first half um so those were the two big like heavy hitter West teams I think that they put away in semi-dramatic fashion and also well the Lakers game was was national so that's always fun yeah, I um the only other one that even really comes to mind I mean I'm looking at our schedule now and um Right now, the uh, in the schedule, uh, one game that came to mind is the win over Chicago. And Chicago is not a good team or anything, but that was Joel's 50-point game, uh, which was pretty incredible to watch. And and the way that he uh, he got that that done was really really great. Dan, do you want to go to the question that we have in the chat here? Yeah. So we've talked about this a little bit. The question from from Luke Kite is: Should the Sixers target bench depth or start like Lowry at the trade deadline? Um, we've, I know, uh, Steve and I, we agreed on this a little bit on Twitter. I'm not sure if we discussed it on the pod, but, uh, we are both Lowry guys. We think that, um, not only is, you know, getting an, an, an extra, you know, high end starter, the, the biggest impact It's also in our view, the best way to fix the bench. Um, so, you know, I would much rather obviously it depends on on what it takes and i don't want to you know trade you know every piece of death we had which i don't think would would be what it takes but i'd rather replace danny green say danny green some other salary and you know maybe maxi a pick uh whatever it takes for lowry um if you really believe we're contenders which i do think we we can be with a pickup like lowry um i would much rather take lowry and he he gives you something Danny Green doesn't, which is that he can take on a bigger role on the bench. So, you know, he can mm-hmm. most be a facilitator with the starters, but you go to the bench and he can, you know, st- yeah, he can still get guys involved, but he can go score. He can create his own looks. Danny Green can't dribble. Um, and, and Lowry is like, you know, he's a guy who can, you know, off the bench take on the primary scoring load and do a good job of it. Uh, which is, you know, kind of why we see bench lineups with Tobias doing well. And, right. and he kind of carry mostly bench lineup. Um, but the issue is, if you have even three starters in, but say they're Seth, Danny Green, and and Tobias, and then two other bench players, you know, we don't have, you know, Danny Green and Seth Curry are not guys who can, like, you know, Tobias can, like Lowry would be able to, take on a bigger role in lineups that don't have Ben and Joel in, in lineups with worse players to step up and do something that, they're not being asked to do in the first place. So I would say, you know, give me Lowry if you can. I, you know, I think it's partly because you're going to be playing your starters more in the playoffs. Um, 
but also just I think it is the best way to carry the bench going forward. I totally agree the bench is the problem, but I do think that a starter like Lowry is an even better way to fix it than adding depth to the bench, which ideally you could do both. I think they're, you know, they're both, you know, good ideas, but if you could only do one, I would take Lowry. Yeah. So uh, I'll just jump in and say, I love Lowry. I, I just have always thought he's just an awesome player. And, and I think that the two way potential of like Lowry Simmons Embiid, and Harris is pretty like right there with all the best teams in the league. And, they're, they wouldn't have the scoring firepower that Brooklyn does, but with an MVP candidate and those guys around him, I think they would really have, you know, as good a chance as anybody uh, to go after this ring. Uh, for me, part of the question is, can you get sort of a wink agreement from Lowry's people that he would like to be here more than just the end of the season? Because this would be a big swing. If, he, if he's just going to go into unrestricted free agency uh, and he's going to be 35 – uh, and you don't really have an assurance. I think it's tough to do all of the, you know, picks and maxi and all of that stuff. But if you do, if you think that he's going to be here for a couple of years, he's a guy that I think will age well. He doesn't rely on athleticism like a lot of guys who have trouble in their later 30s do. Um, I think that, you know, I would really just go for it with uh, with Kyle Lowry. I think he's great. Um, the other thing that I was I, I've thought about this in the past with, with Ben and we've talked about like getting point guards on the uh, on the Sixers, like adding a, a high level point guard, Chris Paul, whoever. And then I was always thinking to myself, okay, what becomes of Ben Simmons if that happens? Because in the past, Ben has not been great as a roller or as a small ball big. Like you know, any of those lineups really weren't working, and Ben wasn't utilized in those sorts of ways. But this year, I see a ton of that from Ben, where he is really rolling as a secondary playma- playmaker if shakes in the game. And uh, yeah, so I, I really, I wouldn't worry about Ben in that scenario. And I think that it would really work out. Uh, Emily, what about you? What would you prefer uh, in terms of like a big swing for somebody like Lowry or a lower cost, like fringe level addition? I agree with you guys in that I would prefer like a bigger, a bigger swing. I've always felt like we could contend this year and having a player like that would maybe like reduce my anxiety over like if one domino fell for two weeks, we would just uh-huh. be screwed completely. Like having like, a little bit of a backup assurance. Um, I hate giving up anything for people. I wish people would just be given to us for nothing, <laughs> but I understand that's not how the world works. Um, so yeah, I would, I'd prefer a big piece, um, but we'll see what Daryl does. Yeah, uh, there are a lot of reports that um, Daryl is looking for a big swing and looking for a sort of uh, impactful move. Uh, friend of the podcast who had an eventual week, uh, Keith Pompey, he reported a few weeks ago that Lowry is interested in coming back to Philly. You know, the thing about Lowry that's frustrating is that it might be a moot point. If the Raptors are good enough and he doesn't feel compelled to leave, then uh, you know, they might not get rid of him, you know, because he means a lot to that franchise. And I don't think they'll just deal him to get something if he's going to leave. So I do think it would have to partially be motivated by Lowry, but that's not uh, out of the realm of possibility. Um, looking back at the first half of the season, uh, what about the worst loss of the first half? Uh, you guys can think about it. Sixers, it feels like every loss hurts a little bit more because now we have to talk about it uh, into microphones. But uh, for me, one that comes to mind, even though it was fun for the maxi part of it, was the loss to Denver 
when Adam Silver made the Sixers play with seven guys. Uh, hmm. There was if you were if you could remove the COVID part of it and the sort of uh, palace intrigue behind it and be like, wow, look at all these guys, you know, having fun and they don't have a chance to win, but ended up losing by 12 to a good Denver team. Uh, and Maxi went off. He had 39. But I was just very upset that 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 game was sort of forced to happen in the first place. Uh, so that was a very frustrating loss for me. And, uh, you know, it looked like it would be a marquee sort of game. But then Seth Curry got COVID and the league was picking and choosing who was a close contact. Very confusing. Uh, Dan, do you have any losses from the first half that stick out to you? I mean, the main one that sticks out, um, that jumps to mind most easily, is the Portland game where they beat us with nobody. Um, and I think uh, Ben wasn't playing, but Joel was, I want to say. Yes. Um, yeah. Just a disgraceful loss. And um, Joel had the 25-point second quarter that game, and then uh, we came out in the second half uh, of a tie. You know, it's tied at halftime, came out in the second half, and could could not do a thing. It was horrible. And uh, that to me, that's the worst loss. The only other one that was, like, nearly as painful might have been the Raptors game. Uh, the recent Raptors loss, just seeing mm-hmm. – it was just a flashback to like how Joel has been, you know, most effectively covered in the past, which was, you know, doubles and then no one on the team can do anything off of him being doubled, even though Joel was making some good passes. Um, it was a little bit discouraging. Of course, the Sixers aren't going to shoot as bad as they did, um, as bad as they did that night, especially with the open looks they were able to get off of the Joel doubles. But to lose to the Raptors without Lowry, um, Without, you know, without the players that we've seen take leaps, continue to play well, I thought was a little bit frustrating in a, in a way that, like, called back some bad losses of last season. But I do think the Portland game was probably worse. Emily, what about you? Your uh, your most painful loss of the first half? Um, I would say the Cleveland games. The mm. Cavs are just not good. And the most recent... <laughs> Cleveland game that loss and OT like Joel puts up 42 Ben has a great game and just literally no one else could do anything and that's like like the doomsday scenario in my mind is like the first round of the playoffs and only Joel and Ben remember how to play basketball and everyone else can't even like put up six points and then like something terrible happened so that was just like I don't what like giving me like I don't know stressing me out yeah um uh, and yeah that those both of those losses like why do the Cavs have our number like they are not good it's very confusing yeah it's it, it's very Sixersy if you think about like the old the old Sixers before we were actually good um before we get out of here the All-Star game and the All-Star game festivities are happening on uh Sunday uh we'll be back with another episode after that uh but before that I'd love to get some predictions so LeBron did not pick Embiid. He picked Giannis first uh, for his roster, and then he filled it out, and he ended up choosing Ben Simmons as his second reserve. Kevin Durant, with his second pick, went with Joel Embiid, and also a cute moment was when LeBron took Ben Simmons. Kevin Durant said he was disappointed he wanted to take Ben Simmons. Uh, I would like to know from you guys, who do you think is going to – actually, we sort of already picked this, right? So – before last week on the podcast, I picked that Ben Simmons team would win. And did you guys both pick Joel's? Yeah. So 
I, I, what do you guys think? LeBron has never chosen Embiid on his team in any of these opportunities. Now, I think last year Giannis picked Joel first, but do you think there's something going on with uh, LeBron and Joel? Emily, what do you think? Um, I don't think so. I just think that LeBron, who, oh, LeBron picked Giannis first. Like in the last, the last couple of years, hasn't LeBron just picked a teammate first? Like they all just picked their teammates first, and then it kind of, Giannis didn't have any, so then he picked Joel. It just is like a, it's it's funny the the draft, but it's dumb. I don't think it means anything. Um, as much as I, I want say, it to, I love drama. I, <laughs> I will say I thought there was absolutely no chance LeBron would pick Joel this year because LeBron very much wants the uh, sort of lifetime achievement award for the MVP. And uh, Joel is steamrolling right now towards that. So I really didn't think that LeBron would acknowledge him favorably uh, for this one. Dan, what do you think about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think in the, in the past, it was probably a coincidence. Uh, this year, it was probably not what you're saying it is. But I really like to think it is because it's much more funny that way. I mean, Giannis, <laughs> Giannis and stuff are awesome. So you can't complain about running those guys on your team. But, you know... I mean, strategically, I probably would not have taken Joel, right? Because no one's no one was going to take Joel, Joel and Jokic. So you could just take whichever one went later. No mm. one was going to play with both centers. But, and you know, like I said, Giannis and, and Steph are great. But I do like to think that LeBron was like, well, I can't pick Joel because then, you know, people are going to, people are going to, you know, think that I'm giving my blessing to the media. You right. Know? pick Joel when he really wants them to pick him. I, I'm going to go with that one. I think that one's funnier. But, <laughs> I mean, the best moment of the draft was the day after being big crybabies, the two Jazz mm. going last, which was so funny. And when, when I think it was Dur- Durant saying, you know, I need a, I need a big man. It might've been LeBron. No, it was LeBron. It was, it was LeBron. LeBron said, I need a big man. He took Sabonis. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> And, and Sabonis is like the least fun all-star player. He's a deserving all-star, but like in terms of players that get chosen last, he's like the prototype. He's like the Al Horford of the all-star game who would absolutely go last. And he got picked over like Mitchell, who theoretically should be a fun all-star type of player. Well, I, 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 have, I, have, it, I have it in my head. It's probably not true, but you know, they, they they did mention it a little bit about how, you know, the Jazz are a team that they never played with and no one ever wants to play with, you know, the Jazz in 2K or something <laughs> like that, which is hilarious. Um, but also, you know, these guys really annoyed us that day, you know, with yeah. all their comments and just – and Mitchell's done this before. Like, it's always something else, you know. Simmons won MVP or uh, Rookie of the Year. Well, they should have changed the rules because <laughs> he shouldn't have been eligible or something, like. It's just like silly, and he complains about these little things. He actually seems like a, like a pretty good guy, but he he makes some like really annoying comments anytime he like loses something, which yeah is I think frustrating. And it's not just him, but the Jazz as a team, which is why they are like you know they they have this like I guess little brother mentality. I don't know. I don't have siblings, but from what people say, that is <laughs> just like this like from like the organization, the fans, just like this like please like my team mentality like they put out a report um some site did i forget who just but it was like going through how like the national media doesn't cover the jazz proportionately to the lakers and it's like yeah because los angeles is huge <laughs> and so probably city's tiny like there's just more people that want to hear about the lakers and it's like 
there's always like a big thing about how they don't get enough credit for this and that. And so it was so funny to watch them go last. And I like to think that the players like did it on purpose because like these guys make these comments and they find them annoying and they were like, we're, let, why don't, let's just, let's pick them last. See what, see that what would be great. Um, well, not to mention that LeBron is like so upset about the shortened season and his reduced break and the bubble and like Rudy Gobert was patient zero in the NBA. So like, ooh. I think they don't like him. Great point. That's a really great like, point. He's like, you are the, the one that started all. I mean, obviously he didn't start it all, but like in the national consciousness, like that Rudy Gobert thing is what started like all the shutdowns yeah. and all the leagues yeah. shutting down. Like it's kind of the face of it in, 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 you know, us sports for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I think before, part of it. before we get out of here, let's make a couple more quick picks as we know the dunk contest participants and we know the three point contest participants. Let's start with the dunk contest, which is going to happen at halftime. I don't know if, they're going to make it a 15-minute dunk contest or not. <laughs> uh, the people participating are Obi Toppin of the New York Knicks, Anthony Simons of the Portland Trailblazers, and Cassius Stanley, uh, who is a player in the NBA, and he's on the Pacers. I am going to go with Cassius Stanley. I've always loved Cassius Stanley. I just love him. I, he Between the Cassius and the Stanley, I've really thought he's been great. Uh, he's who I choose. Emily, who's your choice? I'm going to pick Obi Toppin because he ha- his hair is insane. Great. Uh, what about you, Dan? Yeah, let me just say first that I think we're all losers for having to watch these mm-hmm. three young contest participants. Yep. I'll go with Obi Toppin as well, though. Might as well give it to the Nick, right? Great. Love it. Uh, and then as for the three-point contest, there is Stephen Curry, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, Zach Levine, and Donovan. <laughs> okay, nobody's picking Mitchell. Um and Booker hurt, do, right? So he's not going to Booker do it. is hurt, and he's – oh, no, I'm sorry. This is an old article. I'm, we are uh, – he got replaced by uh, Mike, Mike Conley. Conley. So it's Mike Conley instead of Booker in this as well. Uh, Emily, who do you jazz, choose? Three jazz players on, in it. the All-Star game. Mm-hmm. America's team. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pick Steph Curry. That's easy, right? Okay. Uh, Dan? Yeah, I probably would have taken Booker. Um, he's just like – when he's wide open, he just seems to make them. But I'll I'll take Curry as well. How could you not? Well, I I in our predictions, I'm I'm trailing, so I need to step outside the box. I'm going with former Sixers Zach Levine. Uh, I think that uh, that he pulls this one out. Uh, I think that's pretty much going to do it. We are. Uh, what about the, the skills competition, Steve? Oh, no. Covington. Covington. Yeah, I, Covington. I think we all are picking him. We okay, pick here you him. go. This here's the skills contest. I apologize. It's Covington, uh, Luka Doncic, uh, Chris Paul, Julius Randle, Demontis Sabonis, Nikola Vucevic, uh, and I think the three of us are happy to go down with the ship by choosing Robert Covington. Absolutely, he's in the skills competition. It's amazing. I love it, and uh, and I think it's sort of funny, and I think it's great, and I hope he does great. Um, this has been really fun. This is our first uh, bonus episode on Locker Room. These will start happening every week on different days. We'll, we'll figure out when they, uh, when they work for us, but we will let you know. Uh, thank I- you guys for hanging out. What would you say? Great. Uh, <laughs> good, good stuff. Uh, Dan and Emily, good to talk to you guys. We'll be with you. Uh, this episode will come out right away, and then uh, we will give you another episode for Monday morning. And uh, I think that's it. Thank you, guys. Good hanging. Thanks, guys. And thank you to, you know, everyone who, you know, joined us, asked questions. Very, very cool.
Very cool. Thank you, guys, and uh, enjoy your weekend. See ya. Bye. to do's, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.